It's a joy to bring you God's word today. Recently, I watched a documentary with my wife. It's a documentary titled The Alpinist, and it talks about this 25-year-old guy who goes out to mountains um, and climbs without ropes. He, he goes to the mountains to climb very, very steep cliffs, often without ropes. His name is Mark, and one word to describe Mark is that he is a daredevil or someone who does risky stuff with his life. But another way to describe him is that he's reckless because he puts his life face to face with death all the time when he goes to the mountain. In his own words, this is what he says. Every time I go to the mountains to climb, I know it could be my last time. And sadly, he kept going till his very last time. He kept going till he met his death in Alaska, climbing a mountain without ropes. Mark threw caution to the wind. And to throw caution to the wind is never wise. But like Mark, many men and women throw caution to the wind. They throw caution to the wind when it comes to their sexual appetite or desires. Last week, we saw how the father caused his son to ponder the ways or the path of his feet in Proverbs 4.26, so that his ways will be sure. Our passage this morning calls us to avoid adultery at all costs. This path is a path riddled with danger, and the father shows the dangers of adultery and God's provision of a better path. And inside God's provision is marriage. Uh, of course, um, the pastoral resident gets to preach this passage this morning. <laughs> this is my only time preaching in the book of Proverbs, by the way. Um, yeah, this is a heavy passage um, because it deals with an all too familiar issue we have, and the church has struggled to sometimes deal with it openly, even from the pulpit. Um, it does adultery and sexual immorality. And, and so before we get into our text, I want to just say some of you may feel remorse or deep regret for past sins, and maybe for some it will be a present reality now in your families or maybe among your friends. And for single folks, you may even say you've never committed adultery physically, but Jesus reminds us of how we do commit adultery in our hearts in Matthew 5:28. So I want to remind us all about the gospel message in which we stand, the very message in which we stand as God's children. And Paul does well to remind us of this in Romans 8:1. He says, "There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ." No condemnation. I hope you, you catch that. In Christ, we are set free from the guilt of sin. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we now walk in this new life. This gospel of grace shapes how we read our Bibles. This gospel of grace shapes how we read Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 5. Um, 
where we see the warning of God and understand how the warning of God is a means of God's grace to us. Um, so turn with me to Proverbs 5. And if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, uh, before we read, I would love to even add that this is a passage from a father to a son. And so, of course, we see that dress going to him to beware of the path of adultery. And so the focus is on the man being warned. But, of course, the advice applies both ways. And I, I don't want you to miss that. Proverbs 5 reads, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to show. She does not ponder the path of her life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your ears to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own system, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for the strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely dear, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he sought fast in the course of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Avoid the path to adultery and rejoice in your spouse. This is my sermon in a sentence. Avoid the path to adultery and rejoice in your spouse. Our passage gives us two warnings about adultery. One solution and an ultimate destiny of those who reject God's solution. The two warnings highlight the danger of adultery. 
And the one solution shows God's gracious providence to us. The destiny of all who reject God's solution points to God's judgment. So right out of the gate, we get the Father's first warning, which is beware the deception of adultery. Beware the deception of adultery. The Father warns his son about the hidden danger of adultery so the son may stay on high alert so the son arms himself with God's word. Notice the words the father uses in the very first two verses. He says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Now the phrase, your lips may guard knowledge, means your speech may guard knowledge. Um, Because in verse 3, we see the speech of the forbidden woman is parallel to her lips. And that's how Hebrew poetry works. Mostly the next line or the few lines will explain what came before. Also in Malachi 2.7, we see how lips or speech of the priest is meant to be used to guard knowledge. So knowledge is guarded by speaking and by speaking God's word. This is how the son resists the unneed lips of the adulteress. The words of seduction are sweet and smooth. Words of seduction draw attention to sexual immorality. The first step to sexual immorality is simply a string of words. And these reckless words paint all kinds of imaginations, all kinds of fantasies. Reckless words objectify women and men. Reckless words objectify our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And this is because words are powerful. And so we know that the words of seduction are equally powerful. In Genesis 39, Joseph comes face to face with Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife's reckless words are, lie with me. And after several attempts, Joseph replies, how can I do this great wickedness and sin? against God. Joseph counters the seductive words with God's words on his lips. The words of adultery are as sharp as a two-edged sword. The Hebrew for two-edged sword literally means two, two swords or a sword of maths. So it, the sword is actually math in the Hebrew. And in verse 4, it is used with a word play on how the mouth speaks seductively. So we see how the words of seduction proves to be razor-sharp sword. And this sword brings death. But the word of God brings life. And the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, as we see in Hebrews 4.12. So when the lady in your office flirts with you with words, I know it can feel amazing. Or maybe an old boyfriend paying you some compliments. That may also feel good. But these are sweet honeyed words. And those who fall for these sweet honeyed words often find justification for it. Well, if my wife was paying me all of this attention, perhaps. Or maybe my husband should pay closer attention to my intimate needs. But if this is happening to you right now in your life, just pay attention to God's word. As it reads, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood. 
sharp as a two-edged sword. And the forbidden woman captivates her victims with more than words. Because she also captivates her victims with the manner of life. To throw caution to the wind is dangerous, but it has an appeal to it. It can be attractive. This is why, as a society, we are amazed by dead devils who go on to do reckless stunts at the risk of their life. In the same way, men and women who live in adultery pay no attention to danger. They pay no attention to the path of life. People living in adultery gamble with life itself. Adultery is a reckless way to live. And such recklessness leads to death with no hope of resurrection life. Look with me at verse 5. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to show. A carefree life is attractive, but a carefree life is disastrous. The forbidden woman does not examine her ways, and anyone who joins her on this journey follows into disaster. And this is why the father wants his sons to listen once more. The father warns them to see the dangers of adultery. After describing the deception of adultery, the father now moves to show the consequence of adultery. The father's second warning is for his sons to consider the price an affair will, will cost because adultery is full of regret. And this is my second point. Beware the consequences of adultery. Beware the consequences of adultery. There is a price to pay and those who live in sexual sin suffer a great deal. So the key to safety is keep your distance. Keep your distance from the path of adultery. Keep your distance from pornography because pornography leads to the path of adultery. Keep your distance from fornication because fornication leads to the path or road of adultery. Keep your distance from the road heading down to adultery. And this is why verse 8 is key. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Anyone who commits adultery rejects wisdom and then suffer for their foolishness. First, your God-given resources are taken away from you. We see this in verses 9 to 10. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. The word lest introduces the consequences of disobeying the command in verse 8. And notice the language here. Your honor, your years, your strength, your labors. These are all social and economic categories of your resources. Resources given to you by God himself. Sexual sin takes away your time and energy. And pornography is an example. The porn industry has enslaved Many young men and women, their time and energy wasted on streaming several sites daily. Their time and energy wasted could have been wisely invested. Time and energy wasted could have been invested in learning, invested in learning God's word. It takes only a few minutes to swipe left or right for sexual content. But it also takes a few minutes to swipe left or right for Bible verses. Adultery can also impact your health and well-being from contracting diseases to the mental strain it puts on you. You may even experience unplanned 
or unwanted pregnancy. This is why you should keep your way far away, lest you give your honor to others and your yes to the merciless. The second reason you should keep your distance is because sexual sin brings deep regret and public humiliation. We see this in verses 13 to 14, where the son says, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. This is a language of deep regret and fear of public humiliation in the assembly. In those days, the assembly gathers at the city gate to pass judgment on sexual immorality, to pass judgment on adultery. And regret is not enough. Regret is not enough as a language of repentance. The regret we have needs to lead to repentance. And this reminds me of a story in my own life recently. Um, I got pulled over for over speeding. And um, I, admit, I admitted it, it was wrong for me to overspeed. And this is my very first speeding ticket in the U.S. After driving for seven years, I used to boast that I, I have not gotten a, a ticket before. Now I can't have that title. Um, but after paying the speeding ticket, I also have a driver in the back seat, my son, who now warns me of my speed. I am more cautious now when I'm driving. Um, but that is not just regret for speeding. I am also showing that I am careful not to do that again. That is the language of turning, turning away. The picture in verses 12 to 14 is of a young man who has seen the disaster of his own recklessness. This is a picture of one who was thinking only a short-term pleasure, forgetting the long-term consequences. This sad picture in verses 12 to 14 reminds me of a great soccer player I watched growing up. And I learned many of my soccer moves from him. Um, I know soccer is not a big thing in the U.S., but it's really big in Ghana. And I tell Josh Black, it's big around the world. <laughs> Um, he played for Manchester United in England. Um, George Best is his name. And don't confuse the two of us. He's George Best. I'm George Edu. Um, I loved him, watching him play on the field. Phenomenal guy. But off the field, I never wanted to be compared to him, even though we had the same name. He was reckless in his life and in his affairs. Um, he would often go missing from training. And Manchester United would send scouts looking for him, for him to come back and play. Um, and once he said this himself, when he was at the peak of his adventures, he says, when I go missing from training, I often go to be with Miss Canada or Miss World. And in the end, he squandered all his wealth and resources, and he lost his family. He fractured his family life. And he died with deep regret. My hope is for you to catch that um, personal responsibility. The responsibility of owning the actions. And this is what verse 12 to 14 does. The young man blames himself for his foolishness. 
He does not blame anyone else. Look at verse 12 to 14 carefully. He says, I hated discipline. My heart despised reproof. I did not listen. After wasting all his resources, he now comes to his senses. In Luke 15, we get a picture, a picture of this unfold with the prodigal son. When he comes to his senses after wasting the inheritance he got from his father, he says, I will arise and go to my father. He says this in Luke 15, 18. I will arise and go to my father. This is a helpful place where regret turns to repentance. And so if you find yourself in a place like this right now, don't stay down. Don't stay in the dark. Arise. Arise and come to the Father. And because of the cross, God the Father is ready to embrace you. Christ calls us to come to him. And in Christ we have all the blessings we need. In Christ, both the single and the married life are blessed. And for all who desire sexual intimacy, God also provides marriage as the proper place. God has designed marriage as the place for intimacy between a husband and a wife. And Hebrews 13:4 is clear on this, that intimacy is within the bounds of marriage, and any intimacy outside of the marriage covenant is a sin. So then, what is the solution to the enticement of adultery? This leads to my third point. Rejoice in your spouse. Rejoice in your spouse. The father's advice begins with an imperative. Drink water from your own system. But the pronouns continue. Look at verse 15 to 17 to see if you can see this. Your own system, your own well, your springs, yourself alone. The language communicated here is exclusivity, exclusive intimacy. Sexual intimacy binds a husband and a wife together. The husband's desire is to meet the needs of his wife, and the wife's desire is to meet the needs of the husband. And verse 15 likens the bond of marriage and the intimacy in marriage to drinking water from your own well. The image here is of a thirst being quenched by cool, by cool, clean water and water from a known source. Your sexual attention should be kept within the bounds of marriage. Such sexual attention should not be found in the streets. To enjoy one's spouse is then to enjoy safety, health, and enduring satisfaction. Though the image focuses on the husband enjoying his wife, it can be applied to wives as well. Just as husbands should rejoice in their wives, Wives are to rejoice in their husbands. And any affair outside of marriage is just a poor counterfeit to the beauty of marriage. And so the father firmly charges his son to not let adultery come between him and his wife in verse 17. And as you look at verse 17, you can take a look at verse 18 too. Because the path to adultery is never an option when the son rejoices in his wife. Adultery is not an option when we enjoy the person God has given us in marriage. This is how one Bible scholar put it. The best defense against committing adultery is a strong offense in marriage. Intimacy in marriage guards against the forbidden path of adultery. 
intimacy in marriage guards against unfaithfulness. So now if, if you are married, um, I know there are many married folks here, right? Can you raise a hand if you are married? Good, I like that. So this will apply well. My wife, my wife and I have been married for 10 years. Um, not so long, but I have seen a thing or two on the road. Um, I've realized it takes deliberate effort and intention to get this right, to be able to pursue your spouse even after marriage, um, after weddings. and You need to continue. And I'm so glad for the residency at First Free. Um, I've learned a lot of wisdom from the ministry staff here on how to combine my ministry work and my life at home so that I don't make excuse for ministry with my responsibility at home. And I've learned to balance my time. I've realized this, the less quality time I spend with my wife, then I know that it chips away slowly at the joy in intimacy. Do you guys who are married agree, and you ladies? Is it true that the less time you spend together, it chips away? Yep, I'm happy for the amen. Yeah, so, because many times adultery takes place because spouses don't spend quality time together. That is when suddenly the grass begins to look greener on the other side. Marriage is God's gift to us, but we need to work at it. It takes a strong offense in marriage to stay faithful in marriage. But there are those who reject the intimacy in marriage. They reject God's solution in marriage and they go pursue their own desires outside of marriage. And God will pass judgment on all unrepentant sinners. This is what Hebrews 13 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. The, the eternal destiny of unrepentant sinners is a sad one. And this is my fourth and final point. Beware the ultimate destiny of those who reject God's solution. Beware the ultimate destiny of those who reject God's solution. Sexual sin is ultimately a sin against God. And this is what we see in verses 20 to 23. Sexual sin is a rejection of God's grace. Adultery is a distortion of the most intimate human relationship. It is a statement against God in itself. Adultery says God is not good enough. Adultery says God's provision of marriage gives me less than I deserve. Yet the freedom adultery promises are only chains. It looks like freedom at first sight, but look again and you'll see bondage. And I'm yet to meet anyone who celebrates their life of adultery on their deathbed. Adultery is always spoken of in deep regret. So don't be enticed. Don't be enticed by the adulterer or the adulteress. Those who commit adultery may think their path is hidden. It is a secret. But Proverbs 5.21 tells us God sees. God sees both the unrepentant sinner and he sees the sinner saved by grace. God watches as the unrepentant sinner binds himself with the cords of his own sin. 
those who embrace adultery and sexual sin wrap themselves in their own sin. The, the image in verse 22 is borrowed from an animal which is trapped or caught in the trap of a hunter. And once trapped, the end of the animal is certain. But unlike an animal trapped in someone else's um, trap, wicked men and women trap themselves. They sow seeds of their own destruction. Notice in verse 22, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the course of his sin. The unrepentant sinner is a fool, and it's only a fool who will now blame others for his own sin. And I want to remind us, church, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. And it is given to us apart from our works, as we see in Titus 3. But there remains a place in the Christian life for effort, the effort to bring out what Christ has done in you. Your salvation is a gift. God has enabled you with the power of the Holy Spirit to now show it to the world. Salvation cannot be lost. All whom God justifies, he glorifies. But if we do not discipline ourselves, hear me carefully, if we we do not discipline ourselves, we we prove ourselves to be those who tasted the outward benefit of Christianity. When there is no repentance and we make peace with our sin, we prove to be those who merely tasted the outward benefits of Christianity without ever truly resting in Christ alone for salvation, like Hebrews 6 says. So we need to form godly habits because godly habits form us. We need to devote ourselves to the reading of God's word. And this requires effort. We need to gather with God's people. And this morning, you have to sit in your car and show up. It takes discipline to do this. But discipline as a Christian virtue is not popular these days. Yet the Christian life is a disciplined life. And Paul paints for us this picture of discipline in 1 Corinthians 9, where he says, Do you not know that in any race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So church, let's embrace God's solution for our intimate needs. Rejoice in your spouse if you are married. As Christ is faithful to his church, so are we called to be faithful to our spouses. And we know that our marriages will only mirror this imperfectly. So accept the forgiveness of God in Christ and guard yourself with God's word. And if you are single and desiring intimacy, follow God's plan for intimacy. And note this. As believers, we are repentant sinners. There's a big difference between sinners and repentant sinners. The unrepentant sinner dies for lack of discipline. And this is how our passage ends. Not on a very high note, but on a very sad note. 
Proverbs 5.23 says, He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So if you are here and have no relationship with Jesus, through whom you can get forgiveness of sins, I pray the Lord opens your ears and your eyes. I pray the Spirit of God soften your heart to the gospel. Mark the solo mountain climber went climbing without ropes. This morning, God has thrown you a rope if you don't know Christ. And the rope is Christ Jesus. A life without Christ is a life without ropes. Turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus. Surrender every area of your life, including your intimate life, to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And in Christ, you will find the fullness of life. Fullness of life in this life and in the life to come. Please pray for me. Father, thank you for your word of truth. For showing us the wrong path we should avoid. As your beloved children in Christ, give us your power through your spirit to walk in your ways to be faithful in our marriages, to enjoy the provisions you've given us for intimacy. Help us, O Lord, to not turn away from your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.